Well, good morning, Gateway family. Good to see you as we begin the new year. Grateful for the time with you this morning. As we continue through the journey of the gospel, John, I want to ask a question this morning. Is there a difference in doing something out of duty and doing something out of delight? Does it make a difference if we do something out of a sense of duty or if we do something out of a sense of delight? Now, as things we do out of a sense of duty, I've met very few people who delight in paying their income taxes, though we do it, right? I don't get a lot of joy when I pay my bills, but I pay them. But it may be other things in life. Perhaps there's a project your boss makes you do. You don't believe in it. You don't really buy into it. But you have to because, well, he's a boss and you're the employee. So you do it out of a sense of duty. Perhaps for students, you're in school and you have a teacher who assigns this project or a homework or some test. You know it's just busy work and it's a waste of time. So you don't really delight in it, but you do it because you have a sense of duty that you have to do it. Perhaps there's a project you've been needing to do around the house you don't enjoy doing, but, well, you just need to do it. But perhaps, and I'm a fear sometimes in our lives, we do spiritual things out of a sense of duty as well. We pursue the Lord out of a sense of duty, not out of a sense of delight. We just do it because, well, we're supposed to do it. So does it make a difference if we do something out of duty versus delight? Let me answer that question with an illustration. We're going to fast forward to June 27th. That's my anniversary, so I do remember my anniversary. That's June 27th. It will be nine years this June. So if I come home from work on June 27th and I have a, a dozen roses and I hand them to Joya, and she says, these are beautiful. Why did you do this? I'll, and if I say, well, I'm your husband. I have to. It's our anniversary. It's my duty. Is that going to be good? No, that's duty. But I can take the same gift on our anniversary, hand her those roses. She says, why are you giving these to me? And I look at her and say, because I love you, and it's a delight to share life with you, and it's just a tiny token of my gratitude that God gave you to me. Same gift, same situation, two different outcomes. One's done out of duty. One's done out of delight. If I give Julia flowers out of a sense of duty, that does not confer honor on her. But giving it out of delight does confer honor on her. If I give it something out of duty, it's out of selfishness. But if I do it out of delight, it comes from a heart of love. If I give her things out of delight, it's marriage the way God designed it to be. But if I do stuff out of duty, it's a broken marriage, not as the Lord intended. Well, my sermon is not about marriage this morning. That's not what the message is about. But friends, remember that marriage is a grace gift from God for lots of reasons. But part of that is, as it tells us in Ephesians, to be a picture of Christ in the church. We look to marriage to get a glimpse of how we're to relate to the Lord. And if duty versus delight makes a huge difference in marriage, it makes even more of a difference in how we relate to the Lord. Because if I pursue the Lord out of a sense of delight, it honors the Lord. It glorifies the Lord. But if I pursue the Lord out of a sense of duty, it does not glorify Him and honor Him. If I pursue the Lord out of a sense of delight, it comes from a heart of gratitude, recognizing all He's done for me. If I do it out of a sense of duty, it's really a heart of selfishness in that. And if I pursue the Lord out of a sense of delight, it's abiding. What we're talking about last week and talking about again today. But when I do it out of a sense of duty, it's not the type of relationship that the Lord designed or intended for us to have. So I want to begin with just another question for you to consider. And simply this. Does my daily life indicate I delight in loving God and in loving others? Not talking about what happens in here and the emotions we feel when we're singing to the Lord. But does my daily life indicate that I delight, not just I do it, but I delight in loving the Lord. I delight in loving other people. Prince, be honest. We don't ever have to hide stuff from God. God knows anyway. That's why I love the Psalms so much, because David is really honest before the Lord of where he's at. But be honest. Do we delight in loving God and loving others? For some of people in this room, you would just say, no, I really don't. I don't love God. I don't love others. And that's just the way my life is. Some of you might say, well, you know, I know I'm supposed to love God and love others, so I try, I strive, I do my best, but honestly, it's really a sense of duty. 
But some of you in this room, you could say, yeah, it is. I've seen you. I get to know you. And it's a delight for me to see it in you. You find joy in loving God. You find delight in loving others. And you're experiencing God's plan for for your life. Which one are you? Because it makes a big difference. Well, turn to John chapter 15 if you're not there. Just a refresher of where we are and where we're headed with all this. When we got to John chapter 13, we began Jesus being alone with his disciples in what we call the upper room. This is 24 hours before his crucifixion. We're on the Thursday night before what we celebrate on Good Friday. Jesus is going to be crucified in less than a day. And he's in the upper room with his disciples. They gather to celebrate the Passover. He missed it to you, the Lord's Supper there. And there he teaches his disciples many things. We've already seen some of those over the last several weeks. But we saw in the, I guess, a big theme of these teachings, Jesus loves us too much to leave us where we are. He loves us so much, he changes us. He's stretching his disciples. He's pushing them. He's helping them see they need a transformed life that's impossible on their own, but by his grace, they can experience it. And we've seen throughout these last few chapters, he's been teaching the night before his crucifixion, that by his grace, we can abide in him. We can love him. We can see him work through us. We can see him answer prayer. We can find strength to obey. We can find our growth in the knowledge of him. We can find peace. We can find joy. All these things we've been seeing in recent weeks is what he's been teaching them the night before his crucifixion. He's going to reiterate all those themes today, but he's going to push it a little bit further today because he's going to drive it into our heart motivations today. He's going to drive it and help us look inward into our heart motivations. Are we doing these things out of a sense of duty or out of a sense of delight? So we're going to pick up this morning in John chapter 15. We're going to start in verse 8 and read through verse 15. Can I ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God? What a treasure we have that God has not hidden himself from us, but has revealed himself to us. John chapter 15, starting in verse 8, I'm reading out the English Standard Version. John 15, verse 8. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Verse 12. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for your word that you've given to us. And I pray this day you'd let your word come alive to us. Come alive to me, come alive to these precious brothers and sisters. The Holy Spirit, you the one who inspired this text, would now illuminate this text to give us understanding, to give application of it to our lives, that you would stretch us and push us and be pruning us and growing us, even today as we look at your word together, so that you might be glorified and we might find joy in the process. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. One main idea I want you to see from this text that we're going to break down this morning is simply this. Followers of Christ delight in loving God and in loving others. Fathers of Christ delight in loving God and in loving others. As I said, this text gets us to heart motivations here, not just what we do, but there's a delight, there's a joy and excitement. For those who really know Christ, we don't just do stuff out of a duty, but there's a delight, there's a joy in loving God. There's a delight and a joy in loving others. And we want to see that this morning. So let's kind of take that apart and look at it. Again, let me remind us, this is two followers of Christ. Jesus is not speaking to the crowd anymore. He's speaking to his closest followers in that upper room the night before he's crucified. And he reminds them once again what true following really is. Look back at verse 8 of this text here in John chapter 15. He says in verse 8, where we ended last week, By this my Father is glorified, 
that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Friends, what we've already seen is if we really believe in Jesus, it's going to be obvious. If we really believe in him, it's going to be obvious. There's going to be unmistakable evidence that we've received some type of transformation, not from us, but that comes from above. We're going to have a life marked with grace upon grace upon God that is changing us that will ultimately bring God glory. And friends, this is what happens in every believer's life. This is not some wishful thinking on the part of Jesus. He says back here in verse 8, he says, By this my Father is glorified. In the Greek where the original language this was written in, this Greek tense here is a future tense with a certain outcome. It doesn't say, by this my Father might be glorified if you just get your act together and strive harder. He's saying, by this my Father is certainly, unmistakably going to be glorified. This is going to certainly happen. Jesus is not wishing for this. This is what will happen in the lives of all followers of Christ, because all followers of Christ will bear fruit, as it says here in verse 8. Now, what is fruit? We talked about this last week, but in case you weren't here, fruit is a metaphor. It's an image of a changed life. It's life that's been changed in how we relate to God and how we relate to other people. Fruit changes us in how we relate to God. We repent of our sins. We love the Lord. We abide in Him. We see growth in godliness. But it's also how we relate to others, and we'll see more of that this morning and next week as well. But friends, we shouldn't be surprised that fruit is really a changed life and loving God and loving others. If you go back to the book of Matthew, chapter 22, and the greatest commandment, there was a time when a lawyer came, or some religious leaders sent someone to ask Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? And look at his answer, Matthew, chapter 22, verse 36. Teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? Jesus answers to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So what is it that we're required? The greatest commandment, if you could summarize all the law of Scripture, love God and love others. So is it any wonder that the fruit of a Christian life, the transformation that God brings is obedience to this, loving God and loving other people. So for a true follower of Christ, friends, those who've been changed, those who bear fruit, we bear fruit, and that fruit is loving God and loving other people. And I want us to see that in this text this morning. Let's look at where this text shows us that that this fruit is loving God. Now, if you look through the text, you're not going to see a place in here where it says you're changed by loving God. So where am I getting that from? Where do you see loving God in this particular text? Well, two things. There's two commands here that show that we really love God. Number one is abiding, and number two is obeying. If we really love God, it's expressed in terms of abiding and obeying. Love for God is not, did I pray a prayer in the past? It's not the warm fuzzies I feel in a worship service. True love for the Lord is experienced in terms of abiding and Obeying. Look at abiding, verse 9 here for us. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now here's the command, abide in my love. Like last week we saw that abiding means to remain, to continually be in fellowship. Friends, if you love someone, you want to be in communication with them. Someone who says, I love my wife, and they have zero desire to talk to their wife, they're deceiving themselves, they don't really love their wife. Someone tells me, well, I love my friends. Well, when's the last time you talked to them? Well, I don't talk to them anymore. Well, they're not your friends. You don't really love them. If you love someone, you desire to be in a relationship with them. You desire to be in contact with them. And we're commanded here to abide in Him, to remain in Him, to be continually in fellowship and contact with the Lord, friends. If we love Him, if we, we will abide in Him. But it's not just abiding, excuse me, abiding as well. The second thing we see that helps us know if we love Him is obedience. Do we desire to obey Him? Look at verse 14 here. You are my friends if... You do what I command you. Friends, if we believe in Christ, if we've made him our Lord, our master, our boss, then we will seek to obey him, and he calls us his friends. But look back at verse 10 as well. If 
you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Friends, the big word here is if. If you obey, you will abide. You will experience me. If you will obey me, Jesus says, you will experience fellowship with me. You will experience being in contact with me. I want you to notice something here because the order has been flipped on this. Jesus changed something for us. Look back up just maybe a column or two to John chapter 14, verse 15. Look at the order here. We saw this just a few weeks ago. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So in chapter 14, verse 15, the order is obedience is a result of abiding. You abide, and then as a result of that, you obey. Now go back to chapter 15, verse 10 today. If you keep my commandments, in other words, if you obey, then you will abide in my love. So which one is it? One, he tells us, obedience is a result of abiding. Other one, he says that abiding is a result of obedience. Which one is it? Yes, it's both. It's exactly. These are so inseparable, they're both. It's both of these are a result of the Lord's work in us. Think about this. We saw last week that any type of transformation comes from God. It's his grace gift to us. Friends, if we're abiding in the Lord, if we're experiencing him, it's not because of us and our striving. It's his grace gift to us. But friends, if we're obeying the Lord, it's not because you and I are so holy and wonderful. It's because of his grace gift at work in us. Both abiding and obedience are God's grace gift in us. They're the fruit that comes from knowing him. Therefore, both come to a true follower of Christ as he works in us. They both are evidence that we're his disciples and they are inseparable. It's not I'm going to obey so I abide or I'm going to abide so I obey. Yes, I'm going to abide so I obey. And yes, I'm going to obey so I abide. Yes, it's going to be both. And no, it's not because of me. Like we saw last week, apart from Jesus, says, apart from me, can do nothing. It's all his grace that enables us to do both. And as his grace is poured out on us, as we experience his love, we in turn love him. First John 4 is pretty clear that we love because he first loved us. This is the fruit of knowing God. Friends, if we are a true follower of Christ, he's going to be transforming us so that there is within our heart a desire, a delight in abiding, a desire in our heart in obeying that we can summarize as a desire, delight to love God. And that's not the only thing. We also, again, back to the greatest commandment, we're commanded to love others as well. And we see that in today's text also. Look at verse number 12. Jesus speaks, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Friends, if we love God, we will obey God. And so when Jesus says you're to love other people, if we love God, we will seek to obey this commandment and seek to love other people as well. Let me remind us that love is not primarily a feeling. Our culture kind of makes love into some mushy feeling we have. Love is a choice. Love is an intentional choice I make to love someone else. It's an act of the will. And in this particular verse, in verse 12, the love described about what we're commanded to do is present tense, ongoing tense. So you really could translate this. This is my commandment, that you love and keep on loving and keep on loving and keep on loving and keep on loving one another. That you will love every day, that you'll make choices every day to love other people. This is what God requires of us. And specifically, this is a sacrifice he calls us to. Look at verse 13. Greater love is no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. This is what Christ himself did for us. He's our example in this. Think about this. Christ laid down the glories of heaven. We just celebrate Christmas to come be born in a manger in a stable in order to bring redemption to us. Christ laid down his rights for the whole universe to serve him. So Mark 10, 45 tells Christ did not come to be served, but to serve. And ultimately, what's going to happen on the next day, Christ is going to lay down his life. He's going to willingly go as a sacrifice to take our place so that you and I might be restored to a right relationship to God. And so this is what he commands us again, verse 12 and 13. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. 
That's a pretty high order for us, isn't it? We're to love others the same way Christ has loved us, to lay down our life, verse 13, for our friends. Well, I think sometimes when we hear that, we kind of relegate that to, well, if someone breaks down the door of my house and certainly my spouse or my kids, yeah, I'll put myself in harm's way if that ever happens. And we kind of put this verse simply down to, yeah, I'm willing to die to protect my kids or my friends if that ever happened. But that's kind of an out there hypothetical that doesn't come to reality of daily life. Friends, if we follow the example of Christ in laying down our life for our friends, this means I lay down my rights today, my rights to get what I want. I lay down today my preferences that life go the way I want it to go, that my home go the way I want it to go, that my schedule go the way I want it to go. I lay that down so I can choose to love other people. It means I lay down the rights to my time. Well, this is my downtime. I don't want to be bothered. This is my break, my nap, my TV show, my football game, whatever. We're willing to lay that down brothers, to lay down my stuff. Well, how, why should I let them borrow that? That's mine. And all these things that come in our mind. When Christ is calling us to lay down our lives for others, it's not just the sacrifice. Yes, that's included. But don't miss the everyday here and now, the laying down our rights, our preferences, our stuff, our time to choose to care for others. And friends, again, this is not an option for us. Verse 12, this is my commandment that you love one another. This is not just for missionaries, pastors, elders, deacons, this is not just for super Christians. This is for everyone who calls the name of Christ. We're to love one another. This is to be the normal Christian life. Now, a clarification is needed here. Friends, we do not love God and love others to gain God's favor. We need to be careful here. We're not doing these things to gain God's acceptance and God's favor. The book of Ephesians is really clear to us. It is by grace we are saved. Through faith It's the gift of God, not by what? Works. You and I cannot love God and love others enough to get right with God. Our sin has tarnished our relationship with the Lord. It has broken our relationship with the Lord. And you and I cannot do enough love to God and love to others to get right with God to earn His favor. It's impossible on our own. The only way we can be seen by God in a right way is when Christ forgives us of our sins and God looks on us and sees Christ's righteousness instead of our sin. Friends, we do not do these things to gain God's favor. These things we're talking about are the fruit, the result of Him changing us, Him redeeming us, Him rescuing us from our sins. As we follow Him, as we've seen over and over in John, God loves us too much to leave us where we are. So this idea of delighting and loving God and delighting and loving others is not something you and I manufacture. It is the fruit, the result of Him changing us, Him transforming us, Him us being connected to the vine and His life flowing through us. It's the result of Him pruning us like we saw last week to make us into this. But the second clarification is needed here as well. As we seek by God's grace to love God and love others, we must make sure we don't pursue these things out of a sense of duty, instead of a sense of delight, going back to what we talked about at the beginning. Our life is full of things we do out of duty. And too often we can take that into the spiritual realm as where and so much of what I see today in terms of Christian living is really attempts, self-willed attempts to strive harder, to try harder, to do more because we're supposed to do it. And how many times in our life have we heard people say, well, you know, I just have to read my Bible because if I don't, my day's just not going to work out right. Or things like, you know, I really don't want to pray, but I guess I better pray because something bad might happen if I don't. That's, that's not delight, that's a duty. Or hearing things like, well, you know, I really want to watch that game, but I better go to the worship service because people are going to think bad of me if I don't go. There's no delight in that, that's a duty. Or, you know, I need to get rid of the sin in my life. I know it displeases the Lord and all that, but, you know, I'm kind of going to miss it. I kind of like my sin in this. And, you know, maybe I'll lose my job or... You know, my friends might think ill of me or people might think bad of me if I, if I confess my sin. And so we do all these things out of the sense of duty instead of a sense of delight. For instance, that's not what God is calling us to. God is calling us to delight 
in loving him and delight in loving others. And that leads us to verse 11, which I think is perhaps the most important verse for us this morning. Not just that we love others, not just that we love God, but we delight as his followers in doing so. Part of the fruit is the attitude. It's not just the action. Part of the fruit is the attitude behind this as God transforms us. Look at verse 11 here for us. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Now, this is so important. I want us to read this out loud together. So look up on the screen. Otherwise, it's going to get really interesting. We're all reading out different translations, right? Let's read it off the screen. So John chapter 15, verse 11. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Friends, this is really, really important in seeing what the Lord has called us to is this. What are these things that he's talking about? He's specifically talking about these things in the upper room. These things, not just everything Jesus talked about, but he's speaking specifically of these things he said. Now I want us to get a quick highlight of the things that Jesus has said to us. So go back to verse 35 in chapter 13. We're going to do a quick fly-through review of the things Jesus has said to them in the upper room. And as we listen to this, is this stuff that's easy or is this stuff that is hard? So John chapter 13, verse 35. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples. If you love one another. Outreach and love together. Chapter 14, verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do. Can you go back one? Sorry. I'm sorry. Let not, 14, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Now John chapter 14, verse 12. Truly, 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 I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I'm going to the Father. If we're in Christ, he says, not only are you doing my works, you're doing greater works than these. Verse 14 as well. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Verse 21 of chapter 14. There it goes. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Now verse 24 of chapter 14. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Or verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Now back to chapter 15 that we're looking at now. Verse number 2. Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. And now back to chapter 15, verse 5 as well. I am the vine, you are the branches, whoever abides in me and I in him. He it is that bears much fruit. Now put all that together. What has Jesus been saying to them in the upper room? What are these things that he's been saying? These things are, you will obey me. You will love me. You will love other people. You will see prayers answered. You will do greater works than even I have done. You will be pruned. You will have peace in the difficulties. You will find joy in all these things and so much more. Friends, if we're not careful, all those things start to sound like a burden. All those things start to sound like things that I have to do. That doesn't sound like the exciting life a lot of people seem to be longing for, being pruned, obeying, joy in the trials and all of those things. But look at in light of all that Jesus said and all these things, go back to verse 11. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Jesus is saying, in light of all I'm telling you in the upper room here, I'm not telling you this to be a burden to you. I'm not telling you these things to trouble you. I'm not telling you these things to overwhelm you with what all needs to be done. I'm not giving you a list of to do this, to do that, to do this, to do that. I'm not telling you this to make you strive hard. I'm not telling you this to take away your fun in life. He's saying, why am I telling you all this? Back to verse 11. These things I've spoken to you, that 
my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Friends, let that sink in. All this stuff that he's commanding us and telling us is the fruit of, of knowing him. And so the joy of Christ fills us. The joy of the one who has no sin. The joy of the one who's victorious. The joy of the one who has eternal, perfect presence and peace with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. The one who is perfect in all of his attributes. The one whose plans will always succeed. He's saying, this joy that I have is a joy that I am now giving to you. A joy that persists even in the greatest of suffering that he's going to be enduring the very next day. That's the joy, he says, is available to fill each one of us. Friends, that doesn't sound like a burden to me. It's not like a sense of duty to get that in life. But notice it's not that we get just a little bit of that. Look at verse 11 again. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be what? Full. Your joy may be full, complete. He's offering us complete full joy in him no matter what circumstances we are not with a human manufactured joy but with his joy yet friends so often we shun that joy he offers us and instead of that joy that he offers us the joy of christ that comes from the fruit of knowing him we substitute that with temporal joys of this world because it seems like such a drudge such duty to read the word such duty to pray such duty to spend time with the lord and so we focus on all these things that are what gives us the path to find this joy of Christ, and we thrust them aside thinking they're some type of duty, when in reality they are the very thing that brings joy and peace to our very lives. I love what the great author C.S. Lewis said. He said, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. Let that sink in for a minute. It says our desires are not too strong, but they're too weak. All these urges and desires we feel, they're really too weak. It says this, we are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Again, we are half-hearted creatures, fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. We're like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Do you get the image he's conveying there? The image of a kid in a slum making mud pies. Someone comes and says, I've got something so much better for you. Come with me to the holiday at the sea, a vacation at the sea. He's like, why? I've got my mud. Why do do I need the beach? I've got the mud. And he's so satisfied with that, he doesn't want what greater joy is offering it. Friends, how much is that the description of you and I when it comes to these type things? We look at the Christian life, a life of loving God and loving others, and we kind of shun it, though we wouldn't ever say that. We act like that because it seems like drudgery. It seems like work to us. And we miss the delight that he's calling us to. We miss, again, verse 11. These things I have spoken to you, that, your, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Friends, Christ offers to us a normal Christian life where we delight in loving him and delight in loving others, and we find true joy and true satisfaction as we do so. So, friends, does it make a difference if we do things out of a sense of duty or delight? Absolutely. I hope you see that already. What's ultimately at stake? Friends, if we pursue the word out of a sense of duty, not a sense of delight, we miss the joy. And also, God doesn't get the glory he deserves from our lives. These two things are connected. Joy and glory are connected here. The more joy I find in the Lord, the more glory he receives from the way I live. And the more I understand the glory of God, the more joy I find 
in my life as well. That's so why if you notice a lot of times when I pray for us end of the service, one of the things I pray for is that God will be glorified and we find joy in that. Because these things go together. God's glory and our joy go hand in hand. It makes a big difference if we're doing it out of duty or delight. But friends, this is not just some big picture thing for us to walk away from. Like I say, week after week, the Gospel of John demands a response. So let's go back to that first question I asked. Does my daily life indicate, not that I'm doing these things, but that I'm delighting and loving God and loving others? Am I finding joy in loving God? Am I finding joy in loving others and experiencing God's grace in this? And friends, if we see that in our lives we're not delighting and loving God and loving others, like I said last week, this is not a message to cause you to strive more and do more. That's not what Jesus is calling us to. He's calling us to abide more. How do we abide more? We cry out for grace. We talk to him and say, Lord, my desires are too weak. I'm like this quote from C.S. Lewis, and my desires are not strong enough. They're not for you. My desires are for all these temporal things. And Lord, would you change my desires? Friends, it starts there. You and I cannot manufacture this change. Rather, like we said last week, we cry out to the Lord and say, Lord, change my desires. Give me new desires. We cry out for grace. And as his child, if you're already experiencing his joy and you're already finding his, your desire for him, ask him to increase it more and more. You've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, and now you want more. I don't know about you, but you know I like chocolate. I can't stop with one piece. I take one bite of chocolate, and oh my goodness, I've tasted and seen it's good, and I found joy in it. So if there's that big thing of Hershey's on my desk, I'm going to get another one. Another one. Why? Because I've tasted and seen it, and it increases my appetite for it. Friends, how much more so if we have verse 11 in our life, these things I spoke to you, that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. Friends, if you're experiencing the joy of Christ in your life today, keep asking him for more. Don't stop where you are. Don't be satisfied where you are. Let him grow you. So if your joy is not in Christ today, start there asking for grace upon grace upon grace for him to change you so your desire and delight is in him. If it's in him, ask him to increase your appetite for even more. Would you pray with me? Father, I'm thankful for your word. You've told us all these things, not to be a burden to us, not to take away the fun of life, not to give us a list of to-dos that we need to accomplish. God, you've told us these things to show us what happens when you take control. Show us what happens when you fill us and you change us and we're connected to the vine and your life flows through us. You've shown us this to show us the fruit that should be our life. Lord, for myself and these precious brothers and sisters, Lord, if we see areas of our life where we're not bearing fruit, and I pray we'd be quick to cry out to you to change us, to transform us, not for us, but for your glory and for our joy, Lord. Lord, for my brothers and sisters who are already experiencing this joy, God, would you increase their appetite for even more? God, I pray none of us would just be satisfied where we are in our walk with you. God, we want more of you and more of you. Father, I'm convinced for all eternity we're never going to stop discovering new things about you. Lord, I pray you give us that hunger now, not be like, well, I've read my Bible, I'm done. God, to really want to know you and go deeper with you. Just as in marriage, how we keep discovering things about our spouse for years and years to come. How much more so is there to discover about you, O oh Lord? So God, we ask this day for grace. Grace to abide. Grace for you to keep changing us. And grace to delight in you. Lord, and you'll get the glory and we'll find the joy. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing our closing song?